Take your Bibles, please. Join me in the book of Romans, chapter 1. Good news from different people can have varying implications for us. You get good news from your mechanic that uh, has something to say about your, your car or your truck. Get good news from your doctor that has some good has some implications for your health. If uh, your four-year-old daughter or granddaughter comes to you and says, I got good news that uh, she was able to color and stay in the lines. Now, you're pleased about that, and that has some implications to it. But when you have God say that he has good news for us, that far exceeds good news we get from any other source. In the beginning of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, he introduces the reality of good news, the gospel or good news of God. And I think that we would all agree that good news from God carries far more weight than from a four-year-old that has been able to color inside the line. After mentioning the gospel of God, we find that Paul can't help but elaborate on the exciting good news for six more verses, which makes for a seven-verse sentence that includes 126 words. Uh, verses 1 through 7 in Romans chapter 1 is all one sentence. And it's like Paul got so excited about this matter, the good news from God, that just kind of went on and on and on uh, concerning that. And we get the idea that he's excited about sharing some wonderful news from the sovereign God of the universe. I'm excited to pass along good news from God myself. I'm thrilled that that's what I get to do with my life, to basically pass along good news from God. Have your Bibles, look with me, starting in verse 1 of Romans chapter 1, where it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to whom all are in Rome, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about the good news, and we find that there's a three wonderful truths we learn about it here. First of all, the gospel of God is ancient in its promises. The good news from God is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's applicable for us right now in the present. It uh, goes really from before the foundation of the earth, but has a great implication for our life right here, right now. First of all, we find that the uh, gospel of God is ancient in its promises. It says in verse 2, uh, right after Paul mentions the, the gospel of God, he said this gospel, what God promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This uh, promise of God, this good news, has been promised for, for ages. It didn't begin at Calvary or Bethlehem or Nazareth. 
It's not an afterthought of God. This good news really has been planned from before the foundation of the world, even when God knew that he would send his son to die and be our Savior, and it's been revealed progressively down through the, the years, through the ages, and we find that it is promised through God's prophets, not starting with John the Baptist, but rather starting with the Old Testament prophets, people like David and Moses and Isaiah and Daniel and Micah, but also we find that it, uh, the first promise we find concerning God's good news of the gospel is, is really to Eve right after the fall when she's told that she would have a, a descendant and through her seed, through her descendant, although his heel would be, would be, bro- his heel would be uh, broken, uh, that he would crush the one who breaks him. And what we have here is really the first promise of the gospel. Even though Jesus would be crucified, he would destroy Satan, uh, the author really of all sin and all destruction that comes with that. You go along a little further in, in the book of Genesis, and you find God calls Abraham. And he gives Abraham three great promises. He said, I'm going to give you land, uh, all the land from the river Euphrates to the river of Egypt. I'm going to give you uh, seed. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. And I'm going to bless you. And I'll bless those that bless you. And I'll curse those that curse you. And I am also going to bless all the nations of the world through your seed, your one special descendant. That one special descendant who was going to come would be the Lord Jesus Christ, whose great ancestor was Abraham. We find you go over a little further in the Old Testament, you find that uh, it's promised that David, king of Israel, would have a descendant who one day would sit on the throne of Israel, rule over Israel, extend his kingdom to the entire world, and make it a, a reign of peace. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 talks about this in, in particular. And so we have these great things promised throughout the, the Old Testament. In fact, if you go to the book of Romans, you find that the book of Romans relies a lot, really, on the Old Testament. There are 61 Old Testament quotes in the book of Romans. Five from Genesis, 15 from the Psalms, 19 from the book of Isaiah, and a whole lot of other allusions from the Old Testament as well. And what we read in the New Testament about salvation for all nations, not just the Jewish people, but for all nations through the Jewish Messiah is not something brand new, but rather was something that was introduced in the Old Testament. In fact, the Old Testament alludes generally to a a coming new covenant in the book of Jeremiah. And that new covenant has to do with God writing his, his law on the hearts and minds of people. And has God, the, the idea of God forgiving all sins for, for people, for Israel, and also for, for all who would trust in him and in his provision. And the Old Testament speaks specifically and, and repeatedly about a coming Messiah. And when it talks about that Messiah, it does it through Old Testament types. It does it through symbols, all the things you see in the temple and in the Old Testament sacrificial system. We're all symbolic, looking forward ultimately to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We find everything in the temple looks forward to Christ and his ultimate coming. We find that uh, he's pictured in the Old Testament uh, in, in prophecy as a suffering substitute. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about him 
giving himself for us, being wounded for our transgressions, being bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace being upon him, and uh, talks about him giving his life for, for us. That's back in the Old Testament in, in Isaiah chapter 53. Psalm 22 talks about the description. I, Daniel chapter 9 talks about the Messiah coming and one day being cut off, one day dying, and dying for his people. We find that uh, he's also pictured in the Old Testament as a coming glorious king, uh, even as we indicated a moment ago through the promises given to, to King David. Uh, we find that Jesus showed his relationship to the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, he met two of the disciples on the Emmaus Road, went back to the house with them, and they had a Bible study. And in that Bible study, we're told Jesus showed them everything about himself from, from Moses and all the prophets. And it said, as they heard that, told Jesus, heard Jesus lead that Bible study, it says, our hearts burned within us. And they saw everything in the Old Testament concerning the coming Messiah. So we find that the, as we consider the promises of God, the good news of God, it's not something brand new. It is fresh. It's exciting. But, but it's not something brand new. It's something that's, that, that was being promised clear back through the Old Testament scriptures right along. And there is no inconsistency between the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, or the program of God in, in between the, the Old Testament, New Testament. Sometimes people get the wrong idea. And I think the God of the Old Testament was a, a different than the God of the New Testament. That somehow the God of the Old Testament is just a, a God of judgment and a God of war. And Jesus, the God of the New Testament, is a God of, of peace and grace. Well, the fact of the matter is, God's all of that all the way through. God is a God of judgment and a God of righteousness, but he's also a God of grace and mercy and peace that he offers to us through the death of his Son on the cross of Calvary for us. We don't have a whole different program from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to Christ coming in the New Testament. Well, the poem says, The old is by the new explained, and the new is in the old contained. The new is in the old concealed, and the old is by the new revealed. We have a, a complete harmony there between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it all talks about the grace of God. You find the grace of God all through the Old Testament Scriptures, all through the New Testament Scriptures, pointing us to God's wonderful provision of a Savior for our sin. There's good news. There's bad news. That we're all sinners. But there's good news in that God has provided for our sin. He provides forgiveness. He provides salvation. And it's all provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's no afterthought. It was planned from before the foundation of the world. And it's alluded to and specifically prophesied throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And then it's beautifully, beautifully revealed and, and manifest as we get to the Gospels and then the New Testament scriptures themselves. We find the gospel of God is anchored in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good news is all about a person. God's good news is all about a person. It's all about the person of the Lord Jesus. It mentions it right here says this good news was given through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. In verse 3 it says, Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. 
The good news about Jesus, first and foremost, is in his identity. Who is he? He's God. He's God who became flesh. He's God who became flesh and continued to be fully God while becoming fully man. He's the Son of God. And when he's called the Son of God in this passage and others, it's emphasizing his his identity with God. It's emphasizing his sameness in nature. Well, when sometimes people get the wrong idea. When they think about the Son of God, they think that somehow Jesus was produced by God, that God the Father has always existed, and that Jesus just came into existence at uh, the virgin birth. Well, we find the Scriptures deny that. The Scriptures teach us that, that our God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are all eternal. In fact, in John chapter 1, when it talks about the Lord Jesus, it it says, in the beginning was the Word, that's talking about Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, when everything else came into being, Jesus is already there. In fact, He's the creator of it all. And as He's there, He's with God, and he, He is God. It goes on in John 1 to describe how everything that's ever been made, Jesus brought into existence. So he's the Son of God, emphasizing the sameness of nature. He's loved by the Father. And there's a special relationship between the Father and the Son, the Spirit and the Son. He's also described here as being our Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, The term Lord is the most common title for God. And when Jesus is called Lord, it's speaking about his, his deity. And it also speaks about our relationship with him, whereby he's the sovereign and the master, and we serve him, even as we talked about last week. So who's, who's Jesus? He's the Son of God. He is God, fully God. He is our Lord. And we find it's also, his, he's anchored in his, his birth. There's something that's absolutely unique about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a virgin birth. You go back back to the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, and you find out the angel appeared to Joseph and the angel appeared to Mary, and makes it abundantly clear that the birth of Jesus was a miraculous birth, completely like any other birth that's ever taken place. And it's, it's different from any other birth because what we have, for one thing, is a person who's always existed simply taking upon himself a human body. When you and I were born, we hadn't existed before we were conceived. Uh, but we weren't little souls floating around in heaven that got zapped into a body. But rather, when we were conceived, our, our soul and our body all came into existence at that time. You and I were brand new people coming into existence when we were conceived. That wasn't the case with Jesus. He had always existed. So how is he going to become man? Well, no problem with God. He simply institutes the virgin birth, and we have a miraculous birth take place, miraculous conception, miraculous birth occurs, where you have a person who always existed as God in pure spirit, takes upon himself a human body, and continues to be fully God while becoming fully man, I'll be honest, I don't fully understand how that happened, but the the Bible declares that, and that's who Jesus is, fully God, fully man, 
And he did that for, for our benefit and for our redemption. We find out that uh, he became a man as a, as a, a complete miracle. He, he lived as fully human. His glory was veiled. He made himself submissive to the Father, made himself dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and made himself obedient even to death. We're told in Philippians 2, even the death of the cross. Good news. Good news is anchored in the person of Christ, who he is. It's anchored in his virgin birth, the miraculous coming into earth by God. What an amazing thing. Think about that. God came to this earth. Sometimes people say, well, I don't know whether God really exists or not. Yeah, he does. In fact, he even became man and visited this planet just under 2,000 years ago. We find that uh, as Jesus carries on his ministry, he eventually he demonstrates who he is through the miracles that he did, the sinless life that he led, raven raising Lazarus and a few others from the dead, and then ultimately goes to the cross on, on our behalf as, as our Redeemer and to be the atonement for our sin, and he literally dies there. God the son dies. Not only does he experience physical death, but in a period of time he experiences eternal death as he's separated from God the Father. The most pathetic words that Jesus cried from the cross of Calvary is when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't fully understand how God the Father can, be, can forsake God the Son, but it happened. And it happened because Jesus was bearing our sin at the time that that happened. And we can thank God that it did. But we find after he dies, it doesn't stop there. It goes on and we find that it tells us here in, in chapter, in verse 4, it says, after this one who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, was a descendant of David, but still the Lord of David. It says he's also declared to be the Son of God. Declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. We find that the good news of God is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we get together here this morning in this place, we do it on the first day of the week. Remembering that on the first day of the week, on the third day after his crucifixion, Jesus Christ came physically out of that tomb. He rose from the dead physically to a glorified resurrection body, came out of that tomb. And I don't know about you... But I think that's good news. As, as we sing here this morning, as we worship here today, we're not just remembering a founder of our religion who died and whose memory lives on in our hearts and in our souls. We're worshiping a living Savior. He rose again. And as he's, as he's raised again, it says it happened, number one, with power. Uh, you talk about power. You know, man doesn't have the power for that. Uh, we talk about the things that man has been able to do. You know, man's been able to come up with electricity, and we can light this room artificially. Man's come up with, with the technique of being able to uh, do a heart bypass or do a heart transplant, for that matter. Man's come up with the ability to put artificial joints into our bodies, artificial parts into our bodies. Man's come up with all kinds of things, but you know there's one thing that man doesn't have the power to do, 
and that is to bring back to life people that are dead. Say, what about if somebody that gets zapped with a, a defibrillator? Something like, aren't they bringing somebody back? Well, that's not really resurrection. That's kind of reviving somebody whose heart has stopped. We're talking about somebody here who, who was dead for sure on that cross, spear thrust into his side, gave up the spirit to the Father, laid in that tomb, and on, on the third day, he's been in that grave, it's on the third day that he comes forth from that tomb, physically raised from the dead, supernaturally raised from the dead. I'll tell you what, that's power. There's more good news. Connection with resurrection. Because when Jesus is raised from the dead, he becomes the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. You know who that affects? That's us, right? He's the first fruits. We're the latter fruits. Because he was raised from the dead, that's something you and I can expect to experience as well if we know him as Savior. Now, the bad news is, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, after that, the judgment. The good news is, even after we've died, God's not finished with us yet. And he's promised that one of these days that Christ will descend and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Good news. You and I are in the process of dying right now. Some of us are further down that road than others. Some of you are further down the road than you think you are. And you may not be very old. You know, the, uh, the length of our life doesn't have to do with how long you live, really. It has to do with when you die, doesn't it? Does anybody die at 13? Do people die in their 20s? You know, we, we don't know. We don't know what a day is going to bring forth. We're all in the process of dying, but the good news is it's not a permanent thing. Not a permanent thing. Because the resurrection of Christ with power there's also power to one of these days raise you and me from the dead. And in the meantime, when we die, absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. Now, one of these days, the soul's brought back and reunited with the body. How, how does this all happen? Well, we're told here it happens through the power of the spirit of holiness. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. It was a miracle of God that, that, that took place there to raise him. And as he's raised from the dead... We find this also declares Jesus to be the Son of God. Why should we believe that Jesus is God? One very simple reason. He was raised from the dead. You know, if you don't have anything else, you can go right there. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be God, and he was raised from the dead. I'll worship him. I'll worship him till I die, and, and I'll worship him throughout all of eternity when I see him face to face. And I'll continue to worship him when my body's raised again. Why? Because he's God. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He deserves our adoration. And what proves that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. People have tried to disprove his resurrection down through the years. And some of the most exciting accounts that I've ever read have been people that have, have started out down a path where they, they wanted to disprove the resurrection of Christ. And they wanted to disprove Christianity. In order to disprove Christianity, you have to disprove the resurrection of Christ, right? If you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus, then our Christian faith is nothing but foolishness, right? But if he is raised from the dead, then our faith is something real, and there's substance, and there's eternal value to it. 
And what an exciting thing to read books like like Frank Morrison wrote, Who Moved the Stone, when he talks about wanting to disprove the resurrection. And he couldn't. We find that there are others along the way that, uh, that wanted to disprove the resurrection of Christ. They couldn't do it. A fellow by the name of Othniel Grant was a lawyer. He was a lawyer for, for Al Capone years ago. And uh, he decided he wanted to disprove Christianity. Well, as he went about trying to disprove Christianity, disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know what happened? He came to know Christ as his own personal Savior went on to go into the pastorate and was actually the pastor of my pastor, of Carlisle Genus. Led him to the Lord in a little town called Thompson, Pennsylvania. But what a testimony this fellow had. Others down through the years who wanted to disprove the resurrection of Christ. But the Holy Spirit of God with power raised him from the dead. And then after he was raised, what happened? He went about showing himself. Uh, according to 1 Corinthians 15, to over 500 people on one occasion and to other smaller groups and individuals right along the way. The good news is anchored in Christ's resurrection that, the, that really demonstrates and proves his deity. And we find that through his resurrection, we can expect to be resurrected as well. We find he also has made great provisions for us and uh, made great provisions for the Apostle Paul. He says here in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Now, there's the first occurrence here of a word that we're going to see a lot in the book of Romans, that word grace, because Romans is all about salvation by grace, not by works of righteousness we've done, not by the deeds of the law, but by, by grace. And oh, how Paul experienced the grace of God, didn't he? We just studied in Sunday school this morning about, about the stoning of Stephen. And we read, when he was still going by the name of Saul of Tarsus at that point, how when Stephen's being stoned, it said that he was there and the, the witnesses laid their coats at his feet and, and that Saul was consenting to what was being done. You know what that means? He was cheering him on. Throw another stone. Hit him harder. Kill him. Destroy him. And we find then it goes on and says that there was further persecution in the church and Saul created havoc in the church, created havoc among the believers. And that's Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, early part of Acts chapter 8. You know what happens in Acts chapter 9? Jesus Christ stops Saul on the Damascus road and there, instead of zapping him with a lightning bolt and turning him into ashes for the persecution of the church that he had carried out and the cheering on that he did there at the stoning of Stephen, one of the great heroes of the faith, what happened? In grace, Jesus drew him to himself and brought him into salvation. And not only that, gave him the opportunity to to serve and be Christ's witness to the Gentiles and to kings and to other leaders. That, that's all grace. Paul didn't deserve that. What's grace about? Grace is about undeserved favor. Paul experienced the undeserved favor of Jesus Christ. What did he deserve? He deserved hell. He deserved a supernatural destruction there on that Damascus road. But he didn't get that. Christ gave him grace. 
And, and he's, Jesus is still in the provision of providing grace today. Anybody here that's experienced the grace of God? Anybody here that's experienced the grace of God today? Isn't it great? We get, we get saved by grace through faith. That's what salvation is all about. It's not works. You know, that's where the cults all go astray. They all make it some type of salvation by works. That's where religious liberalism goes off the track. They all want to make it a salvation by works based on what we have done. We work and we somehow earn what, what the eternal salvation. We somehow earn a good standing with God. Let me tell you something. You cannot do anything to earn a good standing with God today. It's all about grace. It's all about God giving us what we don't deserve. And also dealing with us in mercy where he doesn't give us what we do deserve. Grace is provided through Jesus Christ. Is that good news? I'm so thankful for the good news of grace. Romans is the epistle of grace as it declares again and again the wonderful grace of God that's provided for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is is great, great news. Not only did the did, Paul, did God save Paul and extend his grace into him and in making him a, a child of God, but he also changed Paul's life and, and turns him into one who, who was a persecutor, turns him into a preacher and a church planter, and he even makes Paul an apostle, allows him to be a witness to the resurrection of Christ and gives him a special apostleship to preach to the Gentiles and all the nations. And we find that he, he gives them all that in, in wonderful, wonderful fashion. Now, you know, sometimes there, there, there's good news that doesn't have a whole lot of application to us. Uh, well, I guess in indirect ways sometimes it does. But uh, I'm sure back in 1865, when the word went around that the Civil War was over, do you think that was good news for the people of the United States back in that day? I'm sure it was. Uh, for you and me today, does that news have the same impact on us that it would have to families that had young men off fighting in that terrible, terrible war? You know, we uh, e- even some of the other wars that have had ends come to them, and, and you know, we, we sadly we we don't have that experience anymore. We get into wars and we never end them. <laughs> it seems like they're ongoing things, but uh, we we find that, that that there's good news for for maybe years ago. It was good news for Columbus. Well, when after all those, and his men, after all those days they were out at sea, they, they sighted land. There was good news for the pilgrims. When, when on the Mayflower they come across the Atlantic Ocean and they, they, they see the shores of New England and Plymouth Rock and come aboard. If you've been on a ship for a few months, would it be good news when you saw land? I think so. But you know what? That's ancient history. It's the history of our land and does have some impact on us, but, but boy, there, there, there's good news for the present that also comes into play. And, and there's good news from things that took place in the past that have direct application for us in the present. And the good news of God has a great application, personal application for you and me right now. When we pick up this book, even though it's a book that thousands of years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, the canon became completed, it's a book that has good news in it that is still relevant for you and me today. The truths in this book are unchanging. The, the truths in this book are, are personal 
directed at you and me. This book's about us. When you pick this book up and you start reading through it, this book knows you better than you know yourself, doesn't it? It relates to us. It's not just an ancient text like the Caesar's Gallic Wars or the Iliad or the Odyssey or some of those others. It's a very relevant bunch of good news. And in the things that are relevant and applicable for us today, we are called of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Believers are called of Jesus Christ. What a, what a thrilling thing that is, that, that term call. You know, we uh, go through and we read the scriptures about people being called of God. God called Abraham in his grace. For, for reasons known only to God, he called Abraham. God called David. Remember when Samuel went and, and was looking for a king for Israel and, and he sees some of Jesse's sons that look like they'd be the, the great king material and, and God points it out to Samuel, hey, no, not him, not him, not him. Isn't there another? Oh, yeah, David. And David's chosen and David's called to be the next king of Israel. How about Jesus calling the apostles to himself to, to be with him? He calls Peter and, and Andrew and James and John and says, you know, come to me and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What an exciting thing to read about these people called by God. We just talked about the call of the apostle Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. I've got some incredible news. Are you a Christian this morning? You know Christ is your Savior? i got good news for you. You know why you're a Christian? Because God has called you. The God of the universe has called you as an individual to himself to be his child, to be forgiven, to be part of his family, to be used by him in the task that he wants to get done in this world today. What a great privilege to be called to be called by God. And, you know, there's a, there's a general call that goes out to everyone. Whosoever will may come. Whoever shall call on the Lord will be saved. And there's a great effectual call that God uses working in our lives where he actually draws us to himself. What a great, great privilege. And not only called of God, but if you're here this morning and you know Christ, you're loved by God. Beloved of God. What a, what a great, great thrill that is. Beloved of God. What a term. Beloved of God. It's nice to be loved, isn't it? It's nice to have somebody that loves you. But the most important thing is to be loved by God. And, and God proves his love towards us. He loves us and he proves his love. Sometimes people, well, I don't think God loves me. If God, if God loved me, these things wouldn't happen in the world. If God was a God of love, we wouldn't have war. We wouldn't have death. We wouldn't have children that suffer. I wouldn't have these problems and trials in my life. But God's proved his love. How did he prove his love towards those of us that know Christ as Savior? How did he prove his love? Well, God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God proved his love. Somebody asked the question, when, when I had all these difficulties, where was God? Great answer to that is God's in the same place he was when his son was dying on the cross of Calvary. He was still in heaven, he was still on the throne, and he had a perfect purpose for what he was doing there. These, these great truths are, are wonderful to contemplate.
we find that we also can rejoice because we're called saints, set apart by God. We talked about that last week because we can rejoice that God is our Father, even like the uh, those in Rome. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing he wishes for them again is this matter of grace. You know, God's good news is ancient. And it's, it's not something brand new. It's not an afterthought. It's something God's been planning for you and me since before the foundation of the world. God's good news is anchored in Jesus Christ. You need some good news in your life? Uh, with all the bad news you get inundated with, think about Jesus. Read about Jesus. Meditate and consider who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And thank God that that good news that he has isn't just for somebody else. It wasn't just for people 2,000 years ago. It's not for people in another land. It's good news for you and me right here today in 2016 in the United States of America. Isn't it great to have that good news for us? What a wonderful, great thing it is. You know, when God says that he has good news for us, it's important that we listen and that we respond appropriately. The four-year-old says, hey, I colored in the lines. Good news. That, that's, that's nice, sweetie. That's great. Keep doing that. That's wonderful. That's thrilling. You compliment that. When God says, I've got good news. And the good news has been around for a long time. And the good news is all about my son who died on Calvary's cross for you. And the good news is for you. We need to respond to it. If you have responded, that's fantastic. That's great. You're a child of God now and forever. If you've not yet ever responded and taken Christ to be your Savior, just simply go to God in prayer. Tell Him you know that you're a sinner and that you deserve an eternal hell, but you want His forgiveness. You know you need His forgiveness, and you want to take Jesus to be your Savior. You can do that. And if you're sincere in your heart, you know what? God will make you his child. He'll forgive you from all of your sins. That's good news. We've got to respond to it. But if we don't accept the Son, we don't, get, we don't get the benefits. We don't get the blessings that we've been talking about here this morning. And the good news is, once again, God's good news is all a grace. It's offered to you as a gift. You don't have to do something to earn it. You simply accept that good news that's offered to you by grace. Accept it by faith. If you're here and you've done that, man, I, I pray that you'll contemplate the good news. Remember the good news. Be encouraged. And then when people will ask you about the hope that you have within you, they'll see it. So many times we focus on the bad news of life and not on this good news. And once again, if you've never trusted Christ, I would encourage you, bow your head right where you're sitting right now. Tell God you want Christ to be your Savior. You want the, the good news to really be good news in your life. You want to respond to it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news that's been shared with us through your word. Thank you for the good news that the God has become man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ for one purpose, to redeem us from our sins and provide forgiveness and eternal life. Father, for everyone that's a Christian here in this building this morning, help us to be appreciative of the good news that's ours and the relationship we can share with you. And Father, for anybody who's never trusted Christ as Savior, 
I pray they might even pray that sinner's prayer this morning. Take Christ to be their Savior and their Lord. Accept the good news. Make it part of their lives. Lord, help them to tell somebody about it so that we can rejoice with them and even help them grow in their walk with you. Father, thank you for making this all available to us through your wondrous grace. We don't deserve any of it, but you've given it to us all of grace. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.